Welcome to Beyond Fatima. Our show today is on the seven sorrows of Our Lady, and we're going to tie them in with the seven sorrows of St. Joseph that we talked about earlier in one of the earlier shows. But before I begin my show, I always ask everyone, please, to pray with me one Hail Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory forever. Um, this show deals with topics that came from the apparitions of Our Lady of Fatima in 1917. And what we do is we take some point of it and we throw more light on it in the light of the Church's teachings topic, and then private revelations of the saints and how you can apply it to your everyday life. So today's topic is we're finishing up the seven sorrows of Our Lady, and we're tying them into the seven sorrows of St. Joseph today. Uh, One of the beautiful quotes that I've used in the past, and I want to open the show with it, is to see the world through Mary's eyes, to fill the world with her heart. This is the interior reality of the rosary. This is an unknown quote, but I think it really shows us the importance of the rosary and what it means when we pray it. Now, I have Barb Ermster with me, editor of Soul Magazine, promote uh, writer, author. She's got a lot of beautiful accolades to her name, and I've had her on the show many times with me. And she's going to join me when we start talking about the seven sorrows and how to apply them to our daily meditations. Briefly, what I'm going to do is give you an origin on it so you understand where this beautiful um, devotion came from. It's always been a part of Catholic piety, but it wasn't until the 13th century that the devotion of meditating on the sorrows of Our Lady began to flourish. And we see in Florence, Italy, noble men left the city to seek solitude to form a community dedicating their lives to prayer and penance. The seven holy men had a strong devotion to Our Lady. So we see on Good Friday in 1239, they're meditating on Lord's Passion, Our Lady's sufferings. Our Lady appeared to them and revealed to them her wish for them to form an order devoted to practicing and promoting devotion to her sorrows. These men became the founders of the religious order of the Servants of Mary, or the Servites that we know today. All seven men are canonized. At Our Lady's request, the seven founders made the object of their order meditation on the pain suffered by Our Lady and the life, passion, and death of her Son, which Jesus did for us. Promoting this devotion of meditating on the seven sorrows of Our Lady to all Catholics. So there's also a little rosary or chaplet for it on the seven sorrows of Our Lady. Now the feast was instituted at a provincial synod in 1413 in response to the Protestant Hussites, who were the ones that put the gashes on the face of the Polish icon, Our Lady of Czestochowa, credited to St. Luke for writing that icon, and we can see that scar there today if you look at pictures of it. Devotion was approved by Pope Pius VII in 1815, and our wonderful Pope St. Pius X placed the feast as September the 15th, the day after the exaltation of the Holy Cross, because these two feasts clearly mirror each other, you know. Now, our our Lord's revelation He had a little say-so in this centuries later about the title Sorrowful and Immaculate Heart of Mary. In this century, in 1914, our Lord, in a vision to Bertha Petit, she's a Franciscan tertiary, placed the emphasis on the dolors of his mother's stainless heart. And these are the words of our Lord concerning this. My mother's heart has the right to sorrowful. 
I desire that it be set before her title of immaculate because she herself has won it. The church has recognized what I myself did for my mother, her immaculate conception. Now it's necessary, it is my wish, that this title, which is by right my mother, should be understood and recognized. This title she earned by her identification with all my sufferings, by her sorrows, by her sacrifice, her immolation on Calvary, and indeed for the salvation of mankind. Now our Lord continued saying, The calamities which I foretold have come to pass. Therefore it is time, and it is my wish, that the nation should turn to the sorrowful and immaculate heart of my mother. Let one and the same cry arise from everyone. Sorrowful and immaculate heart of Mary, pray for us. Let this prayer revealed by my love as a supreme recourse be approved in indulgence, not only partially and for a small part of my flock for the whole universe, so that it may spread like a breath of healing, purification so that shall appease the ra- my wrath. And we got to remember what was going on around 1914. You know, we're getting ready for Fatima. And it's interesting that our Lord should ask for this devotion to his mother's sorrowful heart. In 1915, the Pope granted an indulgence of 100 days for the recitation of this ejaculation. And finally, on July 2nd, 1940, Bertha heard our Lord say to her, this is the last recourse which I will give before the end of time. The recourse to my mother under the title which I desire shall be hers throughout the whole world. It was in co-redemption my mother was above great. That is why I ask that the invocation, of, as I have inspired it, should be approved and diffused through the whole church. It has already obtained grace. It will obtain much more. Until the hour comes by the consecration of the sorrowful and immaculate heart of my mother, the church shall be uplifted and the world renewed. This is coming out at a time when... We know Our Lady's sorrowful heart was, we asked for the first Saturday of reparations back in the 1920s. So here our Lord is just confirming what he wants. At Fatima, Our Lady asked that her immaculate heart, that free gift of God's grace, should be especially honored. But we must realize it would not have been in accord with her humility had she exalted her own merits by proclaiming the glory of her sorrowful heart. Our Lord continued, in the hour of triumph, it'll be made clearly manifest that I myself had inspired in those whom I freely chose in a devotion similar given to my own heart. These last words should really impress something to you because he finished saying, it is as a son that I have conceived this devotion for my mother. It is as God that I impose it. This is our Lord's words. Now, great interest was awakened in Portugal by the relationship between Our Lady at Fatima on June 13, 1917, and the revelations made to Bertha. Sister Lucia said that Our Lady appeared on that day showing her heart surrounded by thorns on every side. The points of the thorns penetrated to the channels of her heart and she was enveloped in a light, but the expression on her face was sorrowful. So immediately, Fatima and this draw the connection there. Tradition says Mary's heart was pierced seven times with seven swords of sorrow. This constitutes traditionally her seven dolors. Yet Venerable Bishop Sheen said these seven swords were indeed seven thrusts of one double-edged sword. I like his analogy here, and we're going to use this throughout the rest of the show today. Bishop Sheen said the sword being Jesus Christ himself, the double-edged sword, one edge going into his sacred heart first, then the other edge going into her immaculate heart. In the epistle of Hebrews, St. Paul says the word of God is a two-edged sword. Venerable Sheen continued saying that an unsuffering Madonna to a suffering Christ would be a loveless Madonna. Mary could not wipe away the tears of her children unless she herself had been their fountain. 
she has rightly earned the title Mother of the Afflicted. St. Paul tells us we cannot be partakers of his glory unless we partake in his crucifixion. And of course, Mary, being the mother of God, was no less exempt from this law of sacrifice. Now, in a previous show, Barb and I discussed the seven sorrows and joys of St. Joseph, which is a beautiful devotion. Now I'm going to welcome her into the show because we're going to discuss Our Lady's seven sorrows and going to line it up with one of St. Joseph's sorrows. Now, the first three Our Lady Sorrows, there is one that corresponds directly for St. Joseph, and that is the prophecy of Simeon, the flight into Egypt, and the three days lost. Those three all line up. The last four sorrows of Our Lady, the meeting with this cross, we're going to use St. Joseph's first sorrow, the crucifixion, St. Joseph's second sorrow, the third Jesus being taken down from the cross, St. Joseph's sixth sorrow, and the burial of Jesus, St. Joseph's second sorrow. So, welcome to the show, Barb. We're going to start talking about these seven sorrows and how they line up with St. Joseph and how we can, this year of Joseph, tie things together so we bring Joseph into our devotional meditations and prayers. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Katie. It's really good to be with you again, and um, it's a glorious day, a glorious day anytime we're turning to Mary and, and Joseph and Jesus. So I'm glad to be with you. Yeah, I'm going to let you talk about the first sorrow, Simeon's prophecy and St. Joseph's and what has been given information on it and what how Joseph felt about this and how it affected his own pure, chaste heart. Right. Well, Simeon's prophecy um, was when he told the Blessed Mother, he turned to her after the after he lifted up the child and made the prophecy over Jesus, and he said, your own heart will be pierced with a sword and um joseph was there and he heard that and so he himself expressed he himself experienced the sorrow and it was both their understanding that you know they would they they knew how jesus was going to die and what was going to happen to him so that was going to pierce mary's heart in particular but joseph shared in that sorrow now the blessed virgin mary herself told saint matilda that all her joy was turned into sorrow when she heard the words of Simeon. And she further revealed to St. Bridget that while she was on earth, there was not an hour in which this grief did not pierce her soul. She said, as often as I looked at my son, as often as I wrapped him in his swaddling clothes, as often as I saw his hands and feet, so often was my soul absorbed, so to say, in fresh grief, for I thought how he would be crucified. My eyes filled with tears and my heart was tortured with grief. So her heart was one with her divine son's heart. And when you're meditating on this thought and, and you're thinking about her sorrow, um, what she herself would have to, to suffer, and then, then you think about St. Joseph. We've talked about his sorrow in that case where he was not going to be able to be with her when she journeyed to uh Golgotha and journeyed with her son. So that was his sorrow, that he was not going to be there to comfort her. So when you put the two together, there, the, the, this was a prophecy that struck both their hearts in, in reality. It would be like a, any married couple today, knowing in the future what one spouse would have to go with the other, without the other one being there to console them. Right. You know, that would be, that would be unbelievable. And I think people need to realize that this type of thing was before Our Lady's eyes. You know, Saint Simeon's sword, first, as Saint as Vulnerable Fulton Sheen says, went into his heart and then to his mother's heart. And that double-edged sword 
put the pain there, both of them, so that they could both start that walk to Calvary. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, in the second one, it's the flight into Egypt. Again, the sorrows are the same because they're both endured at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, hatred's desire to kill our Lord led him to slaughter hundreds of helpless innocents, infants. The holy infants were the first to die for Jesus. At the command of an angel, St. Joseph took Mary and the infant Jesus and fled into Egypt. In this sorrow, Our Lady and St. Joseph had each other. This grief, this sorrow was shared together. One of the interesting things I learned, Barb, when I was in the Holy Land, we were at the cave where our Lord was born, and the, the one who took us around, our guide, told us that the lower portion, when they found this and excavated it years and years ago, they found hundreds of tiny bones of infants in it and so that led them to know that the infants just they weren't killed according to way we were told when we were in the holy land they weren't killed in front of their parents at the homes they were dragged from them taken to this spot and all mass murdered in one spot because of all the bones they found there Mm. and this this is something that you know our lady and our lord were aware was happening you know, so when you look at this sorrow that they bear together, you know, we, we how often is it easy to say to ourselves, uh, you know, we can bear this, it's coming from God. This mm-hmm. this cross is coming from God. And this is understandable in the first sorrow. But when wicked men are his instruments, what do we feel? I don't know about you, but sometimes you feel abandoned. Well, and I certainly think a lot of people are feeling that way right now in this country, but um, it, yeah. it does feel like he abandons us yes it's a it's a you're 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 perplexed and you're but you know like joseph he continued in faith he had a journey to egypt into an unknown land we talked about that at that other show that um you know it would be like us having to go into a land of complete paganism and idolatry so it was really difficult for them yeah and our patience our humility our faith is tried but yet we can turn to Our Lady, the Holy Family, and St. Joseph, because if they hadn't felt this tragedy, as you were saying, millions of people could say, God doesn't understand what I'm suffering, when my, I'm being uprooted, because right now families are being uprooted in, mm-hmm. like, in the third world countries, yeah. and what's going on. They can turn to her and to St. Joseph, because they understand what this up, violent uprooting means. Mm-hmm. Uh, St. Alphonsus tells how Mary appeared to Blessed Colette. I think she's saint now. A Franciscan nun and showed her the infant Jesus in a basin, basin torn and bleeding, and she looked at her and said, Thus it is that sinners continually treat my son by renewing his death and my sorrows. Pray for them that may be converted. This is this is key to the Fatima message, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, we're always to be praying for conversion. And Mary herself said there's so many people that go to hell because they have no one to pray for them. And that really touches my heart because I think of how many children are being and kids being raised in a society that is turning more and more godless and they don't know god they don't under, they don't understand the depth of our great faith they don't even understand how to worship god they you know and i just think of the plight of their what can happen in their lives and and it can spin out of control and they have no no one to pray for them and that that really touches my heart to pray for those who have no one to pray for them because i know yeah. Now, I know on Tuesday evenings, the World Apostolate of Fatima has their prayer cell, which anybody yeah. can join. And last night, I thought Deacon Bob Ellis really hit the nail on he said when he said, we must, we are all probably being attacked by discouragement, which comes mm-hmm. from this sorrow. And to, and to realize discouragement comes from the devil. So, right. 
Anytime our lives are uprooted, anytime things don't feel right, anytime we're journeying through unknown, um, navigating unknown space and time, it this you can be you can be a victim of discouragement. So we have to we have to kick that out of our our minds and in our hearts and keep turning to the Lord. Yeah, and I want to tell people that you know who will be listening to this show, please stop and think. If it's not good, it's it's not from God. God does not send you discouragement. Right. You know, and he doesn't want you to feel down and out. So turn to this sorrow. That's the one, I think that's the one thing I get out of this. I'm sure you do too. Mm -hmm. Turn to Our Lady in this second sorrow to ask for help when you feel this way. Now Mm -hmm. I'm going to, work at the third sorrow again ties in with St. Joseph, the loss of three days in the temple. So Barb, I'll let you give us your thoughts on this one. You know, when I'm praying the rosary, this particular meditation from the joyful mysteries always um well in this in that case it's supposed to be joyful but i always meditate on what was the purpose of this where you know that that they had to go and search for jesus i I kept i always think there must have been something more going on and but you we've discussed this and um you talk about you know first of all saint joseph and mary experienced not only a physical loss but a spiritual loss as well so this sorrow they also shared together and Venerable um, Fulton Sheen tells us in this three-day loss was a prelude to the three-day loss when the body of Jesus would be laid in the tomb and also the three years loss during his public ministry. And so he, he tells us that this was a deliberate hiding. This was Our Lady's dark night of the soul. The spiritual darkness and desolation has always been a trial of God's mystics. Yes. And St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila both write about this dark night they're they're a little bit difficult to understand it's taken me years to kind of grow in my faith to understand what they write about but i think we've all experienced a time that we could call a dark night and so we can ponder this particular sorrow when they were searching for christ and there's such a beautiful way that he explains that um this darkness is not the same as the darkness in the sinner with the sinner it is a night without love but with the saints, as with Our Lady, it is love with no fight. So St. Teresa of Avila was assured by God that no one is deceived without wishing to be deceived. When our Lord withdraws from a soul he loves, he does not depart from the heart, but he hides himself from the soul. And this is so that the soul will seek him with greater diligence and love. And so to have God and then to lose him, this was a sword in Mary's heart. But And for Joseph... You know, the sorrow was, you know, he was responsible for him. You know, he had taken on the role that God the Father had given him, and he was responsible for this young man in his life. And um, it must have been um, difficult for them, in the, you know, to take three days to find him. At the time, they didn't understand the significance of three days. But, I mean, that must have been the sorrow that they experienced and the anxiety. I'm sure they experienced all that. Um And so Our Lady became, uh, because of this sword, Our Lady became the refuge of sinners by knowing firsthand what it was to lose God and then find him again. And Jesus became the redeemer of sinners, even though he knew beforehand the deliberateness, the willfulness, the resoluteness of those who wound the ones they love. This is the effect of sin. And I, you know, when we talk about the refuge of sinners, I also think about the Immaculate Heart of Mary, what she said to Sister Lucia during that second apparition, where she said, are you suffering a lot? Do not be concerned. I will never (coughs) forsake you. My Immaculate Heart will be your refuge and will lead you to God. That was another comfort to Lucia. And 
so Our Lady understood understood this sense of loss and not having God with you and this sense of fear. So she she really has become a refuge of sinner because of the sorrow that she experienced. One interesting aspect of this, and I've read this in the Mystical City of God by Venerable Mary of Agrita. You can get this at the BlueArmy.com bookstore. I highly recommend this. I can't begin to recommend this as enough. But in it, it was one of the questions uh, the sister nun asked is, how is it possible for Jesus to get away from both of them? How did they not know this? And it's it's interesting. It's like that uh, one priest we had speaking at conference for us from the De Montfort Fathers, mm-hmm. when he said, put on your Jewish ears, you know, you got to put on a Jewish hat to understand what the customs were at the time. What happened at that time is Jesus was of the age, he was 12 years old. So when they traveled to Jerusalem for this, when when they came there for the Passover, the women traveled alone with the small children, and then the men traveled alone with boys that were 12 and years of older. So they came together, but that they're apart. They're not together. They traveled independent of each other. They didn't meet each other all the time and say, oh, let's camp together and have a good time. They were separate. So they get there. So on their way home, Jesus stays. What happens is Joseph's thinking, well, he's with his mother. That's who he's always with. Mm-hmm. And then there's Our Lady thinking, well, it's time. He's 12. He needs to be with the men because he's older now. So this type of thought process goes through both of them. This is how the, and they left in separate places and they did not meet for the first 24 hours. So when they met in camp one day later and got together, that's when they found out Jesus wasn't with either of them. So it wasn't like they were together and Jesus deceived them. He just knew how they would be traveling, and that's when they left the party and came back and searched for him. Mm-hmm. So that's something I've always wondered. How did he get away without right. not knowing it right away? Yeah. <clears throat> they, uh, in, the, in that uh, mystical city of God, it's revealed to her that it was a little more difficult to get away from Our Lady because mm-hmm. of her concern of him all the time. Yeah. But uh, I just thought I'd share that little thought there because it was always on my mind. Yeah. Now so the this, next... This sorrow, ahead. I want to say this sorrow reminds us that when we feel like we've lost God, we must not wait for him to come back, but to go out and search for him. And it's the same that we would feel when, when God goes out and searches for the sinner, you know, yeah. um, that when they return, the joy that, that you experience after that. And we, we all maybe have experiences of that, but to meditate on this particular sorrow when you're feeling that loss of God and consider what Mary and Joseph went through. Yes. Now this next one, the next four we're going to do now, there's not a, there's not a, there's not a sorrow that really is equal to it. So what we, I did was in Barb also in preparing this show is we tried to line up one of other Joseph's sorrows with it, that sort of met with it and sort of gave meaning to it. So our lady's fourth sorrow is meeting Jesus with the cross. And we use St. Joseph's first sorrow here. The perplexity of deciding whether or not to divorce Mary, who is with child from Matthew's gospel. So, um, Barb, I'm going to let you start with this one. We're going to talk about what happened with the dolor originally with Our Lady, and then we're going to show how it ties in with um, St. Joseph on this mm-hmm. first sorrow. Well, this is this is a, a silent sorrow in a sense. I mean, when Mary meets Jesus and his cross, they, there's no word spoken. They just meet with their eyes and... You can imagine the love that was exchanged and the sorrow and and um, when they when they just looked at each other and and it is with the eyes that the sword is plunged into her heart. So Saint Bernadine stated that if all the sorrows of the world were un- united, 
they would not equal that of the glorious Virgin Mary. So we have to remember Our Lady not only loved Jesus as a mother loves her son, but she also loved him as her God. And you can imagine meeting him and beholding the eyes of her divine son where he's scourged, he's crowned with thorns, his face has been inflicted with many blows, he's, you know, he's been mocked and cruelly beaten. Um, his eyes, I, re I remember um, hearing about how his eyes, there was so much blood dripping and that he had to blink his eyes to just open them. And so when you consider that Veronica came and wiped his face, what a great act of love that was and a comfort for him. I mean, that's a, a much more powerful scene when you think about how much blood must have been streaming down into his eyes. So when they meet and and she's seeing this close up, the, the prophecy of Isaiah is now fulfilled where he said there was no beauty in him then, despised and the most abject of men, a man of sorrows, as it were a leper, and as one struck by God for his for iniquities. That's in Isaiah 53. So she at that time was wishing it was her instead of him, as any mother would. Uh, yeah. Mothers have a very innate uh, part of their nature where they want to rescue their kids and they want to take the place of their suffering. We all go through that no matter what our children's sufferings are. We we remember maybe our own sufferings from those years. Or, you know, I go through that right now and trying to, going through sufferings with my own children who are getting launched in this world and you know what they're going through, the anxieties and fears. And so a mother innately wants to take on that suffering. But the irony here is that it was her blood. Jesus had no natural father. So every drop of blood, every cell she had given to him. So they, they shared this mystical union that, and it was very silent, very, very silent. And so you can talk about St. Joseph's first sorrow where the silence that he bore in this sorrow of when he was, deciding when he had to go through the the um, perplexity of not knowing whether he should take in Mary as his wife. Yeah, that's true. He was he suffered in silence in that one, just like she suffered in silence. So it's a silent suffering that unites these two sorrows together. Uh, we, like you said, we all have our own silent moments of suffering. But Vulnerable Sheen tells us that in this sorrow, Mary won compassion for the terrified. You know, I mean, she, ha you know, think of the things we see, the horror we go through. She's won compassion for us, you know, especially for those who will shrink from God for asking forgiveness of sins. You know, maybe they feel, wow, I've really done something wicked here. I don't know what I can do. Can turn to Mary. We know she knows what sin did to her son. And yet, what did she pray for? Those who hurt him, those who, you know, cause these sufferings. She is a compassionate mother because she is our mother also. And I like this quote because I always think people wonder, well, how compassionate is Mary? We've got to remember, we have imperfections because of our fallen nature, which Our Lady does not have. <clears throat> so we can always get thoughts. How compassionate is she? So we have her own words that tell us on December the 12th in 1531 when she said, Hear and let it penetrate into your heart. Let nothing discourage you. Nothing depress you. Let nothing alter your heart or your countenance. Also, do not fear any illness, vexation, anxiety, or pain. Am I not here who am your mother? Are you not under my shadow and protection? Am I not your fountain of life? Are you not in the folds of my mantle and in the crossings of my arms? In all Our Lady's earthly apparitions, never has she spoken such words of compassion, love, and tenderness. 
and she sent them to St. Juan Diego on Tepeyac Hill. That's Our Lady of Guadalupe. Um, Pope St. John Paul II, when he was there venerating that uh, tilma, which is an icon in Mexico City, exclaimed, you know, um, oh, America, oh, America, how is it that the mother of our Lord should have visited you in such a manner? And he said this was in the words of the of St. Elizabeth when she said to Mary, how is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me in such a manner? He was so impressed with that tilma mm-hmm. that it should have happened right there in Central America for all of the Americans at that time. Mm-hmm. So when we look at this uh, in summation, what can we learn from it? Well, first of all, don't complain when bad things happen to you. It's a, you, a lot of us say, what did I do to deserve this? Well, to me, mm. that's presumption and pride. Ask yourselves, what did Jesus and Mary do to deserve what happened to them? And they never complained. So it's our human nature to complain. But maybe if you catch yourself right there and you won't go any further with us. Mm-hmm. You know, St. Alphonsus, really, if you can get any of, I know they have him in the Shrine books, or any of his books he's written, he talks a lot about the passion and the sorrows of Our Lady and Our Lord, but he appeared to a nun in Florence, Italy, and he said to her, think of me and love me. I will think of you and love you. He gave her flowers and a cross. So that's exactly what he gives to us. He gives us flowers and he gives us crosses so that we will stay united with him in all our things. We can't have all flowers. That's mm-hmm. for heaven. Um, the, and oftentimes what happens in within our sufferings is there's a sweetness that emerges when you start to, I, I don't know, they, they talk about yeah. that, the, the sacrifice of suffering, that there's a sweetness to it when you, re, when you unite it with the cross of Christ. It, it starts to bring purpose into your life, but so that's yeah, and another. I, I, and I see that in Sister Lucia's writings as she mm-hmm. matured. You see that acceptance. You know, you right. see that humanity of her. I always say in every show, if you're going to read any book on her, you want to read Pathways Under the Gaze of Mary from the Blue Army. I know, Barb, you edited, helped edit that book. Mm-hmm. It's written by the nuns from her convent in Coimbra, Portugal. But that by far is one of the most profound books on the Fatima message and Sister Lucia and devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. I can't I cannot recommend that book enough to everyone out there. Mm-hmm. Well, the fifth sorrow is the crucifixion. You know, this is where Our Lady stood at the foot of the cross, and we know St. John, it must have impressed him because that's what he wrote. <laughs> and yeah. we've aligned it with the third sorrow, the pain of seeing Jesus' blood spilt during the circumcision. So this is what St. Joseph experienced. This is what Our Lady, and I'm sure you're seeing the tie-in right away, you know, spilling of Our Lord's right. blood. Mm-hmm. Um I'll let you talk a little bit on this one, Barb. Well, I tell you, when Mary stood at the foot of the cross, that's where I often go when I am struggling with life or I'm just feeling the weight of it. I will go to the foot of the cross and stand with her because that is would feel like the most hopeless situation in all of eternity, that the Son of God himself was crucified and mocked and so rejected by his own people. So that is where I gain strength when I stand with her at the foot of the cross. And St. John's Gospel, he makes it clear that she stood. He says, at the foot of the cross of Jesus stood his mother Mary. He's the only apostle who presents at our Lord's crucifixion that in, in that he was so amazed that Our Lady stood erect for three hours that he wrote it down. Yeah. So our, our Heavenly Mother is always standing there looking at the sign that was to be contradicted. This is the point where Simeon's prophecy comes true 
And so what our Heavenly Mother witnessed with her eyes at Calvary, she told this to St. Bridget. She revealed to her, she said, My dear Jesus was breathless, exhausted, and in his last agony on the cross, his eyes were sunk, half-closed and lifeless, his lips hanging and his mouth open, his cheeks hollow and drawn in, his face elongated, his nose sharp, his countenance sad, and his head had fallen on his breast. His hair was black with blood. His stomach collapsed, his arms and legs stiff, and his whole body covered with wounds and blood. That's a pretty vivid description yeah. of what he looked like. And she didn't take her eyes off of She didn't run. She didn't hide. She must have been mocked herself at the foot of the cross. And so this is a this is a deep sorrow to ponder and it's one that we can all join her there and share in this sorrow with her and i'm sure it's a consolation to her and jesus but when you with the season of lent coming up this is a good meditation to keep in your keep in your mind you know most people don't realize why was so little written about the crucifixion in the gospels especially saint john who witnessed it first of all it was horrifying to him he writes the least amount but it was assumed that everybody knew what happened at crucifixions back then. You know, 2,000 years later, we don't know what a crucifixion is. Unless you go with the Shroud of Turin and read the Doctor at Calvary, you don't understand how horrifying that death was. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, sometimes we need we need, a, we need this eye-opener waking. We need to read what was in private revelations, you know, the small T. We don't have to believe it, but it's it adds to our faith and what we're doing there. Um our lady finally told St. Bridget, I heard some say my son was a thief, others he was an imposter, and others that no one deserved death more than he did. Every word was a new sort of grief to my heart. She had to stand there and hear this about yeah. him. Mm-hmm. I mean, with during this during this new season of Lent coming up, you know, make it a, a renewed commitment to look into our Lord's sufferings a little more intensely, even if it's reading a doctor on Calvary at Calvary, so that you understand what he suffered, so you can have a great appreciation what your soul cost. Well, and Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich's um, book, The Dolors of Yes. Jesus, the, is it that what the name of it is? The, yeah. the Glorious Passion. The Glorious Passion, yeah. The Glorious Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ. That is a that is an incredible book to read during Lent, to just ponder oh, yes. the way of the cross. And that's where you get a lot of intimate details. And I do believe that the Passion of the Christ, the movie, was was made. A lot of the scenes from that movie came from her visions. Yeah, he, so, he almost used that book as his guideline. Right. So that's and most what, people don't realize, I read in some other articles and stuff, that they had to begin... They had mass before they began filming every day because mm-hmm. of the assaults they got from the devils and the demons so that they would not make this movie. Right. I mean, it was it was not just Hollywood coming up with a big, big thing to see. It was telling us what our Lord endured. I know I cannot watch that. I usually watch it during Lent at some time or on Good Friday. And every time I do, I, I have to have a box of Kleenex with yeah. me. Yeah. I, I still like to one, refer to Jesus of Nazareth, the nice simple, clean way of watching the cross. <laughs> yeah. But reading the book, The Dolorous Passion of Jesus Christ by Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich, will, that'll set your heart on fire and help you meditate even because oftentimes, what was it? Um, maybe you can remember the quote. It was something that St. Teresa of Calcutta had said that 
when she wants to know love, she looks at the cross. Is it something like that? Do you recognize? Yes, I don't quite remember the quote. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that, that's... Med meditating on the cross and every day trying to remember the wounds of Christ and the sorrows of Mary, it does, it's supposed to, uh, that's where we see love. We'll start to understand love better when we see that every day and meditate on that. So. Yeah, and there are many things to learn when you meditate on this sorrow. The divine and spiritual maternity of Our Lady which is one of the blasphemies for the first Saturdays, mm -hmm. the intense suffering that her son endured and she endured for us, and one of the most important, the horror of sin and how much sin offends God. If you come away from this with a horror of sin, then, then you've got the message there. You know, when we truly know what sin is, we will do everything in our power to avoid it like the saints did. Many saints died rather than sin, St. Maria Goretti of our own century, St. Philomena, St. Cecilia, St. Catherine of Alexandria, St. Agnes, St. Tarsisius died holding the Eucharist rather than sin. Mm -hmm. You know, all died because of this. And the best example of this dolor is the words of our newly canonized St. Jacinta, the seven-year-old, who saw hell. She said, after seeing hell, she said to her cousin Lucia, who also saw hell, why doesn't God show hell to everyone so no one will offend him by sin anymore? Right. That's a yeah, she was, I mean, what a what an innocent little question that a little girl would want to know after she had experienced that. Yeah. She did everything in her power to not sin ever again and to make up for those who do sin. I mean, she spent the rest of her life in sacrifice and prayer for the salvation of souls so they wouldn't go to hell. I think Father Apostoli, Father Andrew Apostoli, I don't know where he got this, but it's in his book that because of her willingness to say yes to the Blessed Virgin when she asked her to stay longer on earth to suffer for sinners, and she she gave her yes, um, and she he says she saved 50,000 souls because of that from her sufferings. Now, yeah, I don't know I, how he knows I that, but he's, yes, I remember it's a quote that, from Father yeah. Apostoli. Mm -hmm, I'm sure her uh, suffering truly did save a lot of souls, and that's what we're called to do, is to offer our prayers and sacrifices for those who need them. Now, St. Bernard tells us that the suffering of Our Lady increased as her son's suffering had increased. But this, I always thought, was a beautiful thought. He writes, the grief which filled Mary's heart as a torrent flowed into and embittered the heart of Jesus. Because we know their hearts are one. St. John Eudes tells us that. But he said, so much so that Jesus on the cross suffered more from compassion for his mother and from his own torments. And you, if you understand what he endured on the cross, this is a profound statement, meaning the emotional, the that what happened to him inside of him seeing his mother suffer caused greater grief for him than his own physical sufferings mm -hmm. and we know saint joseph suffered the pains of this sorrow because he was the first to witness jesus shed blood mm -hmm. when he at the circumcision and i don't know if most people realize this that's all he needed to do was shed one drop of blood to redeem us Mm -hmm. The question is, why did he go through this? We go back to sister. We go back to the statement to show us the horror of sin. Mm -hmm. You know, and we just need to realize that. So Saint Joseph was there, not physically, but I'm sure he was there from whatever point he was with in spirit, wanting to console, mm -hmm. to be there, to hold his his beloved spouse who suffered, and he already experienced it very much so at the circumcision. You know, mm -hmm. so we see that there. In the fifth sorrow, Jesus is taken down from the cross. And this I've united to St. Joseph's sixth, sor sixth sorrow, the fear of Herod in Judea when returning from Egypt. 
because we know when they said, come on back, and poor St. Joseph saw, wait a minute, his son took over. He's even more wicked than the father. So he heads over to Nazareth. So we'll show how this ties in. Now it's written, and bowing his head, he gave up the ghost. Again, John's gospel. That's all he said. He bowed his head and died. You know, and at this point, at this sorrow, the taking down from the cross, uh, Fulton Sheen, Venerable Fulton Sheen tells us, Our Lady knew nothing of the lance piercing of our Lord's side. And fear what happened to his sacred body really filled her with anxiety and tribulation because this was her, this was still God. To prove he was truly dead, Longinus with his sword opened the treasures of our Lord's sacred heart when he pierced his side open. To me, this this is the sacred heart. This wounding of our Lord's heart could not have been felt by him because he was already dead. So that whole act, that all that pain was felt by Our Lady. You know, she witnessed the cruel laceration. But with love and compassion, as written in the City of God, Our Lady told Sister Mary of Agrita, the Almighty look upon you with eyes of mercy for the pain you have caused my soul. That's what she said to him. Yes, Our Lady said. And to me, that defines this sorrow. The greatest pain she felt, and yet she said, God give you mercy. Mm-hmm. And we know when she looked upon him with the eyes of mercy, uh, it's further related that through Our Lady's prayers, some of the blood and water from his sacred side fell on the face of this soldier, restoring his failing eyesight to him. But it opened the eyes of his soul, and he recognized him as God, his Redeemer, because what's it recorded him saying? In truth, this man was indeed the Son of God. And he got down on his knees and said that. Mm-hmm. That's a really beautiful story. It's um, that her mercy, her mercy and compassion for him caused this great conversion i mean look at the grace that even herself brought down on him grace and mercy flowed from christ's side when when that's the vision at fatima too the vision of lucia had of the holy trinity where our lord's on the cross the father's above him and the holy spirit and from his left arm is flowing down water that form the words graces and mercy here's our lady at the foot of the cross giving the same grace and mercy flowing from her and causing conversion. I mean, he may have been one of the first converted after his death, you know, from his death, other than the good thief on the cross, but how many others converted when they saw that even, I mean, they, they talk about St. John when the water and the blood flowed from his heart that St. John talks about this in his gospel. And he says, I witnessed this, I witnessed this. And there's a story, I think it was from that priest of St. St. Louis Yes, 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 yes. Well, he said people would have understood that passage because at the time when they were sacrificing the, the, the lambs and they had a big shoot that would come down from the side of the temple and you'd see the blood and the water coming down from the temple because of all the sacrifice of the Passover lambs. He was relating this blood and water flowing from the heart of Jesus to this is the Passover. This is the Passover lamb that saves us. This is the final sacrifice. It's a really... Yeah. There's so many tie-ins to, again, putting on your Hebrew eyes and ears and understanding what's going on in so many of these Bible passages. So getting The back understanding to, of it. Yeah, so getting back to the sorrow, we talked about she didn't know what to do. She didn't know what was going to happen to his body. And, and, you know, already so much abuse had been heaped on him, and then this final sword is plunged in him. And Yeah, and we, what we get here is only in sadness can God give us consolation. Who mm-hmm. did Our Lady turn to? You know, God. Right. She looked to him for this, for this uh, 
horrible thing that had happened to him. And in the sixth sorrow, we see St. Joseph experiencing this sorrow, fear of Herod, fear of what's going to happen if they went back to uh, where they came from. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is the fear Our Lady worried about. What were they going to do to her son's body next, even though mm-hmm. he was dead? Right. So, so this this is how I tied these two together: that fear of the uncertainty of what's going to happen, the fear right. of the sorrow. So, as head of the Holy Family, we can go to Him, and of course, and go to the Holy Family to help us when we have these kinds of fears. Now, in the sixth sorrow, it's the burial of Jesus, and we use Saint Joseph's second sorrow, the anxiety of seeing Jesus born in abject poverty in in uh, Bethlehem. Um. I'll let you talk a little on this one, Barb. I'm sure you got some nice things to re- share with us. Well, um, Our Lady would not have had the means to bury him. And, of course, it was just before the, the Passover, so they had to hurry. Was it the Sabbath, right on the eve of the Passover, the Sabbath? That they yes. had to hurry and, and do something mm-hmm. with his body because at a certain point they couldn't work anymore. And so by divine providence... And Our Lady wouldn't have known this, but she's in such pain and anxiety. And and by divine providence, um, Joseph and Nicodemus were the answer to her prayers. So she's sitting there holding the disfigured and wounded body of her son. And St. Bonaventure writes, Oh, how many swords pierced the poor mother's soul when she received the body of her son from the cross. The sorrow of her heart was again renewed that there she is holding him and looking down upon him almost with supreme worship and reverence, where she's shedding her own tears of blood over him. And all present were adoring the sacred body of Jesus. And she now indeed was the mother of sorrows. And anybody passing by there could see her great sorrow. So the body was then anointed and laid in the new tomb and sealed. And and um, Our Lady, once again, her, her she's she's lost her son. She's not with him. She's first time she's she's not with the consolation of his body. He's now gone. And this is the silence that the church experiences on Good Friday and even on Holy Saturday when the Blessed Sacrament has been removed the night before. That's always a beautiful night for me on Holy Thursday night when they strip the altar and you're left there. You know, they oftentimes the church will stay open until midnight where you can sit before the tabernacle and pray because mm-hmm. by the next morning, Jesus is gone. The, the tabernacle is not there. The, the, the Holy Eucharist is gone. And that's the, the day that we ponder this horrible thing that happened. And so this was a sorrow and grief that Our Lady endured, that she had to bear, that her son was gone. The body was gone. He was in the grave. And and um, it's, a, it's a great time of standing again in that firm belief in God's plan, no matter what. And when we see that St. Joseph endured this seventh sorrow, because um, he had to, you know, he was was buried in a tomb that wasn't his. Our Lady didn't know where he was going to be buried, you know, as you talked about. Mm -hmm. But St. Joseph had that same anxiety. I'm the the head of the family, and I can't even find a a proper place for son of god to be born yeah you know in anxiety he was in a cave and it was a cave let me tell you Mm -hmm. i saw it it was abject poverty just like he was born into abject poverty and he was died in abject poverty which what um saint francis of assisi tells us he calls it holy poverty Mm -hmm. you know to embrace this holy poverty uh so there's a lot of things going on in this sorrow Mm -hmm. but one of the things fulton sheen 
talks of is that the seven sorrows of Our Lady, and we can add the seven sorrows of St. Joseph to it, even though they were intense pain for them, they're but pinpricks to us because the sword was blunted, as Saint as Venerable Fulton Sheen's. The sword was blunted, and we no longer are endure the intense pain of those sorrows because they took it on themselves for us. Mm-hmm. You know, so wherever graces are promised, you know, there, there are very many. There are a lot of graces promised for devotion to this, and Saint Alphonsus said it was revealed to him. That uh, to Saint Elizabeth, that the request of Our Lady, Our Lord promised four principal graces to those who promote her sorrows, and they are those who, before death, invoke the Divine Mother in the name of her sorrows, will obtain true repentance for their sins. That He will protect all those who have this devotion in their tribulations, and will protect them at the hour of death. He will impress upon their minds the remembrance of His passion. And finally, he will place such devout servants in Mary's hands to do with them as she wishes and to obtain from the graces she desires. Uh, one of the ways we can do the seven sorrows is to pray seven Hail Marys every day. Well, mm-hmm. thinking of each sorrow as we go through it. I don't know, did you do? I do that every day when I heard of that. Mm-hmm. One of the ways to, because if you're thinking, I don't have time to sit and go through this, these long meditations. Well, Our Lady has asked just for seven Hail Marys to be prayer, mm-hmm. to be prayed. And yeah. that'll honor those for her. Mm-hmm. Um, Saint Agnes revealed to Saint Bridget of Sweden the seven, uh, the uh, seven graces we get from doing this seven Hail Marys. Mm-hmm. Our Lady said she will grant peace to their families. They will be enlightened about divine mysteries. She will console them in their pains and accompany them in their work. She will give them as much as they ask for as long as it does not oppose the adorable will of their son or the sanctification of their souls. I will defend them in their spiritual battles from the infernal enemy and I will protect them at every instance of their lives. I like that because we're all being assaulted today. I will visibly help them at the moment of their death. They shall see the face of their mother. That one touched me when I read that years ago. I will visibly help them. That means you're going to see the face of your mother on your deathbed. Mm Mm-hmm. And I have obtained this grace from my son that those who propagate this devotion will be taken directly from this earthly life into eternal happiness since all their sins will be forgiven and my son and I will be their eternal consolation and joy. So, gee, Barb, you and I have got this seventh one down (laughs) pat sitting here (laughs) promoting them. You know what I mean? That type of thing. Um, The mother of God said to her faithful servant, St. Bridget, no matter how numerous a person's sins may be, if he turns to me with a sincere purpose of amendment, I'm prepared forthwith to receive them graciously. For I do not regard the number of sins committed, but look upon the dispositions which they come to me. I feel no aversion in healing the wounds because I am called, in truth, Mother of Mercy. I love that title. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love it. Uh, we're coming down to the end of the wire here, Barb. We need you to tell us a little bit what's going on with the Blue Army, the Year of Joseph, and the Icon of Joseph, and if people would like to get it, how they can get it. Yeah, we, um, we're continuing our first Saturday series. We're asking everybody to complete at least the five consecutive first Saturdays. So every first Saturday from the Blue Army Shrine, we are um, we are showing a speaker, and then we go right into our own First Saturday devotions. And you can watch this online. If you are not at the shrine, you can watch it online at bluearmy.com slash year of St. Joseph. Now, on Saturday, February 6th, we are welcoming welcoming Father Donald Calloway. He's going to give a talk on why we make reparation to the Immaculate Conception, why that's demanded of us. And he also talks about 
St. Joseph being the greatest consoler of the Immaculate Heart. And that is the title of the icon that we had commissioned. And it's an icon showing St. Joseph's role in and Jesus' role during the vision of the, that the children witnessed during the miracle of the sun on October 13, 1917. They saw a vision of the Holy Family. St. Joseph and Jesus were holding up their hands in blessing the world. Mary was standing beside and that vision, you know, it's hard to understand what what is happening in that vision, but it's been pondered for years. And many people say that at Fatima, Our Lady was presenting to the world St. Joseph and saying, I didn't do this alone. G Joseph and I both raised Jesus and I need him now. I'm presenting him to you because he's going to come and help me as we march toward the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. Joseph is coming now. He is yes. here. He is unfolding now in the church and he's going to be with her to help us restore family to help us restore church to help us restore fatherhood's rightful role so saint joseph is shown in this icon as young he's vibrant he's in a role of leadership he's taking on his responsibility with the child jesus in his arms and in the icon mary is presented as the as she appeared to sister lucia with her immaculate heart because he is the greatest consoler of the Immaculate Heart. So that's the icon. It can be purchased at the Blue Army Shrine gift shop at shopfatima.com. We are just, we just recently got the icon shipped to us. We're going to be blessing it at the shrine on Saturday, February 6th. I'm not sure exactly when um, the copies of the image will be in, but you can, you'll be able to contact the Blue Army Shrine gift shop at 908-689-1700 extension 218 or shopfatima.com to order copies. Now, isn't it on also the new Soul magazine that's just out? People yes. want to go look and see what the icon looks like. Is it the yes. whole icon or just the portion of it? Just the portion, but we have an yeah. article about it, and it'll be it'll be up on our website too, the bluearmy.com slash year of St. Joseph. You can see the icon there as well. Yeah. For those of you who don't know anything about icons, there'll be a trifold that goes with it. But briefly, in Eastern tradition, as you know, I'm Eastern Catholic, icons are windows to heaven. So when an icon is written, when it's blessed, the eyes of the people on the icon, the saints or our Lord or our Lady, we look through those eyes as we pray and meditate into heaven. And like a window that's a two-way thing, they are looking down upon us and blessing us and being with us, which is why icons aren't just meant to be in churches. You should have one in your home so you've got that beautiful window to heaven looking back and forth constantly reminding you of you know where your true home is so that's just a little brief thing on icons there next week barb and i are going to be here talking about angels as we know angels prefigure were very very big in the fatima apparitions in 1916 so what we're going to talk about is angels the church's teachings we're going to let you know about the nine choirs of angels what can angels do for you and then we're also going to explain to you the importance of the angels at fatima in 1916 the guardian angel of portugal who appeared to the three children to prepare them for that so now i'm going to end with one hail mary in the name of the father and the son holy spirit amen hail mary full of grace the lord is with thee blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb jesus Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory forever. Thank you, Barb. Thank you, Katie.